it's really difficult to make useful and accessible experiences. One thing that we did early on was we built a diverse team. We actually worked with people with disabilities. We worked with people who use assistive technology in their daily lives and really incorporated them into our design process. And essentially, we co-designed our visualizations with them. And through that experience, it really changed the way in which we approached a lot of these problems. It really changed our perspective. A visualization is essentially a picture. And a lot of people will say a picture is worth a thousand words. You look up some research, you'll see that the human brain can process images thousands of times faster than text. But what happens when somebody can't actually see that picture? Hi, I'm Mike Green, and welcome to Understanding Users, the podcast where I chat candidly with UX design and research professionals from around the world to hear about how they build digital products and services in a user-centered way. So my name is Kent Eisenhuth. I am a design lead at Google. I've been with the company for about eight years. And for the vast majority of that time, I've focused on the design of visualizations. And I've worked in visualizations mainly for Google Cloud, uh, Alphabet Loon, consumer hardware, and Fitbit and have also consulted on visualization work for the quantum computing program and search. And we uh, met last week in New York at uh, the UXDX conference. Um, was that your first time there, Kent? Yes, it was my first time at a UXDX event, and it was, it was wonderful. I've been out on the conference circuit this year. Uh, I've spoken at several international conferences, uh, some that were very well attended, and I would have to say that this is probably one of the better events that I've been to as a speaker. Um, from my point of view, it was very well run. The organizers just did a wonderful job of bringing um, a great group of thought leaders together. I would also say, too, the, the venue that was selected was just outstanding. Uh, the way it was set up and laid out, there were just a lot of great hallway conversations in between talks taking place. The energy in the room was spot on. I would also say, too, that the people that showed up for the event and attended were just wonderful, super engaged, again, very energetic. I would say after my talk, this was probably the most time I spent out in the lobby uh, just talking to people. And I was out there for a few hours, actually, and just the questions that were coming in. And again, the energy in those conversations was just superb. That's great. And, and you mentioned your talk there, and I attended your talk and really enjoyed it, which is why I wanted to have a longer chat with you now. But just tell us a little bit, little bit about kind of what the talk was about, Ken, and what you hope the audience would take away. Yeah, absolutely. So my so focusing on data visualization uh, for many years now, I've been thinking a lot about accessibility, and so have my peers. And as we started working in that space years ago, of course, our products at Google, it's, it's always important to meet the accessibility standards and, and bars that are already set out there. And when we were starting to think about you know, how we might do that as we were beginning to do the work, we realized it's actually quite difficult to do. Uh, at a first blush, you know, the standards can look really constraining, especially when it comes to visual design. And as we started thinking about different and creative ways to apply the standards to not only create accessible visualizations, but also just useful data experiences, we realized that we were starting to learn a lot of lessons along the way. And there were things that were worth sharing with the broader community. And even thinking about the questions that come up from other designers just out in the UX community, 
Uh, this is a topic that's kind of catching fire over the past few years. So we thought we were in a unique position to share some of those lessons learned. And and what would some of those lessons be, Kent? So if if you were if a, if an organization was wanting to, for example, start uh, designing kind of data visualizations and making those yeah. available to users, what what advice would you give them? Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a great question, and it's an area that's kind of difficult to get started with. So I'm hoping you know this interview and also the talk uh, and some of the resources that my colleagues and I have put out there can can help with that. Yeah, so so it's it's a real it's really difficult to make useful and accessible experiences. And one thing that we did early on was we built a diverse team. We actually worked with people with disabilities, we worked with people who use assistive technology in their daily lives and really incorporated them into our design process. And essentially, we co-designed our visualizations with them. And through that experience, it really changed the way in which we approached a lot of these problems. It really changed our perspective. So for example, uh, it's difficult because if you think about a visualization, it's essentially a picture. And a lot of people will say a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you look up some research, you'll see that the human brain can process images thousands of times faster than text. But what happens when somebody can't actually see that picture? How do, how do we have that same impact or create an experience that leverages text or other senses in the same sort of way. So that's kind of a little bit about the, the scope and the challenge that we are facing. So building a diverse team was really helpful because it, it changed the way in which we approached the problems. That was, that was one takeaway. And I would encourage anybody out there who's looking to use accessible visualizations or create accessible visualizations uh, to do the same thing. Uh, some other lessons that we learned along the way is it's easier to start thinking about accessibility at the very beginning of the design process. Uh, if, if you're taking existing designs and starting to look at where there might be gaps, even if you're starting with the standards, right? A lot of times it's easy to take that design, try to update it so it, it meets compliance, but it's easy to create a data experience that then is no longer useful. So a good example of that is like we're always thinking about People with vision disabilities, for example, there's about 300 million people worldwide with uh, color uh, deficient vision or color blindness. It, it actually impacts one in 12 men on average worldwide. So it's, that's a pretty substantial number. A lot of times these folks are not using assistive technology. So we need to think about the visual design, the visual presentation of the information in a way that works for them is still readable. And one of the things that we start to think about is Okay, we can use bold colors, high contrasting colors, and a lot of times designers will just resort to throwing textures on a graph. And at the end of the day, sure, that's going to pass your accessibility bar, but you have to ask yourself, is this still readable? Because now there's extra vibration, there's a lack of focus in the chart. And these are some of the things, the pitfalls, if you will, that we've encountered if we try to take an existing visualization and then retrofit it with... Uh, addressing some of these gaps, right? But if we start thinking about these constraints up front, it's much easier for us to create a useful experience that looks great, draws focus to metrics that matter, and then we really carefully think about, okay, how do we tailor this experience um, so that it works for people with certain vision disabilities and people who are fully sighted alike? And how does the device type impact that kind of work and the design work? So obviously people viewing, because the predominant kind of use of mobile these days for visualization compared to tablet or desktop, how is your research kind of, what's it brought to light? 
Yeah, so so that's a, a really great question. And one thing that we encouraged people to think about um, in the talk and that we've been thinking about internally is how to leverage some of those other features, those capabilities that those devices ship with. So I always like to use a Nest Hub as an example or like an Alexa device that has a display. And imagine that you ask that device for something like a stock quote. Uh, that's a pretty classic visualization that we've all probably seen. Now, if we're thinking about the design of that experience and how to leverage that device's capabilities, well, that device typically ships with audio capabilities. When you ask it a question, it provides a narrated response to your query. And then a lot of times you'll have this really nice high-res display. So if you think about those capabilities, you can actually create a multi-sensory data experience there. So what I mean by that is think about how text could be used. In, in this particular use case, the stock chart, we know what questions people are asking of the data. And if you think about the last time you checked a stock quote, you're probably interested in the current value of the stock. Is it higher or lower than the previous time you checked it? And what is its recent performance trend looking like? Because that's going to lead you down the path of considering, should I buy this stock or should I sell it? Pretty standard. So with that in mind, we can probably say with confidence we can use the narrated response to give you a highlight of what's been happening with that stock's performance trend. Um, it can tell you, okay, there was an unexpected spike in this date or a dip. Here's how it's generally going up, it's going down, and really think of a more meaningful way to surface those insights. Now, something that was pretty popular in the talk and I got a lot of questions about afterward is this idea of data sonification and using audio tones to represent uh, a trend in data. And we've actually been doing that uh, with some of our, our line charts. And you could do that in this case where you could play audio tones to enable people to listen to the data. So now you hear this great audio response. The device ships with the ability to, um, to play music and stuff so you can use data sonification. And then thinking about how to leverage some of those visual design best practices I mentioned earlier to create a compelling visualization that's not only glanceable, but also works for people who might be colorblind or might have um, contrast sensitivity um, in their vision. And if you start thinking about that experience a bit more holistically, this is where I think the magic happens, uh, because we're not only creating an experience that works for people with disabilities, but we're also creating a better experience for people with temporary disabilities. So think about maybe the, the father who's cooking dinner, thought about this stock quote in the moment, asked the device for it, but had to turn his back to it because he had to you know, take a pot off the stove or something like that. And now he can listen to the data. Or think about maybe the mother who has two toddlers in the background who are screaming or you know, trying to compete for her attention. She can no longer hear the response, but now she can actually see it at a distance because we have a higher contrast visualization that's easier to see near and far away as well. So there's, these are just some examples of how, how if we think about devices and the capabilities they ship with a bit more holistically, we can create more accessible data experiences that not only work for people with disabilities, but are also an improvement for, um, for everyone. That's absolutely fascinating. And, and what about AI uh, and the kind of role that AI can play, you know, large language models going forward? Yeah. In the work that you're doing and kind of data visualization. This is a really great question. And in the talk, um, I did a whole segment on lessons learned in applying text to visualizations. And this is this is a really important piece of it. So we're always thinking about like the screen reader announcements, but even how can you use text to convey more meaning, to bring back some of that glanceability uh, to someone who might not be able to see the chart. And one of the biggest challenges there that we're facing is 
really understanding how people are using the chart, the graph, or the visualization, those use cases. For people who are exploring the data, it's really important to not introduce unintended bias. So if we think about what an LLM or what AI could do, I think there's a lot of potential there in helping people understand context and prioritizing affordances for data exploration. I think of that like a data analyst. This person might not you know, know what they're looking for, uh, but are just investigating something and are trying to find the right follow-up questions to ask. But then in the case of like the stock chart, for example, where we know the questions people are asking that data, or even a chart that might be used in journalism that's going to support points that are made in the overarching narrative, maybe maybe the bias quite isn't as important there because we're using the chart to, to cite evidence. So in those cases, I could see AI being used to provide a summary, especially in those cases where we know exactly what people are looking for in the data or what specific points that we want to highlight. So the bias piece of it, I think, could be a bit of a, an issue when it comes to AI, at least for the foreseeable future. But really, again, understanding those use cases, we can think of ways to maybe work around that. But I'm really excited for is how AI can look at a data set um, and then highlight some interesting aspects of the data for those cases where we know what it is that people are looking for. And, and, you, and you mentioned biases there. I'm, um, you know, kind of, yeah, on the, on the sort of more negative side, what are the other risks and potential downsides you see with AI in terms of kind of how it, how it grows, how it develops going forward, or how it could be used? So I, I think, you know, a visualization and a representation of data is only as good as the underlying data set. So making sure that the data integrity is there, um, even thinking about ways to let people, even with AI, to just get in and explore the data and draw their own conclusions, I think is still going to be really important and something that AI could potentially maybe draw us away from doing. Right. And where do we go from here then? Going, you know, with AI... Uh, with data visualization, where do you see kind of the, the 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 these products developing? Yeah, well, I think you know, going back to accessibility, I think there's a lot of potential there, and I'm also interested in seeing as some of these LLMs develop more and maybe start hallucinating a bit less. Um, how we can even enable them to read a data set and provide more insights. I'm also really excited to think about the output of AI and how graphs and charts and visualizations can be used to represent the output there and make it a bit more visual or enable people to experience the output of AI in maybe a different and more compelling way as well. And you know, you're think we're thinking about like what the future could be there. I'm really excited to think about how AI might be able to make us help us make better decisions as designers about maybe how to choose the right chart for a specific data set and maybe help us think about new and interesting ways to represent data that might resonate with uh, an audience that we're designing for. And just thinking about, you know, generative charts. And I think it's, uh, there's a lot of potential there. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. Looking at this again, though, through the data accessibility lens, I think there's a lot of accessibility benefits and potential here that uh, are yet to be explored. And I'm excited for that. Uh, I understand you recently published a book. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. More about that. Yeah. So, you know, some of the challenges that I mentioned here with the data accessibility work that uh, we published, we're, they're difficult problems to solve, especially when we're thinking about bias, how to represent data in multi-sensory experiences, how to create a useful and compelling screen reader experience. To do that, we spent a lot of time at whiteboards with our engineering partners, with our cross-functional partners. 
And a lot of times we're taking feedback from people who use assistive technology. And a lot of times problems were then flipped in their head and we had to go back to the drawing board, so to speak, and, and think about it. So we spent a lot of time drawing. And I started to realize that there was a value in maybe sharing some tips in reducing that barrier of entry to engineers, to product managers, to subject matter experts, accessibility analysts, all of my partners who I'm hoping are in the room drawing with me and engaged in the process. Because if you think about design thinking, even with all the great design tools out there, drawing is still something that is, is used in that process. And it's one of the main mechanisms for sharing ideas, building on each other ideas, and, and so forth. So uh, I wrote this book on UX drawing to try to make it more approachable for people uh, who are participating in those processes. And it really does a deep dive into the visual language of UX and hopefully makes drawing a bit more approachable uh, for people who might not be comfortable with doing that. And I think in your talk as well, you raised uh, the idea of community around uh, accessibility. Is that right? And yeah, absolutely, Mike. So, you know, again, it's not hard to throw a chart onto a screen and call it a day. It's also, it's not hard to bring something into accessibility standards and follow um, WCAG specifications, for example. Uh, but in the spirit of creating accessible and useful experiences, there's still a lot to explore. And a lot of times as designers, we're focusing on the features, the products, the experiences that we're designing, the achieving those milestones on the roadmap. And sometimes we might not have the capacity, the budget, or the time to really deep dive into the, some of these topics that we need to explore a bit more. So in the talk, I wanted to offer some tips on how we found the right people to work with in a large organization. So for us at Google, I actually used to work on a team in cloud. And as we started thinking about this more, we started to also realize that there were other teams at Google with the same questions that were top of mind. So rather than us trying to reinvent the wheel, we huddled up with them and we started to create a data accessibility working group, or we so lovingly refer to it as DOG, our internal community where we could learn from each other. And as we started to do so, we realized we're collecting design work, we're collecting research, we're collecting accessibility test data that we could then package and share with other people in our organization and even people in the external design community or engineering community uh, that could be useful and help them get started. And one of the things we realized along the way is not only do we learn a lot about accessibility and, and data visualization, but we also learned how to build a community of, of passionate people that were engaged in contributing to something. And as we were collecting this body of design work and research and, and prototypes and demos, um, we were able to identify the champions in that group, the people who were really interested in, in packaging it in a way that was shareable to the external community. Uh, so we were able to do that. And we did that through a mix of presentations where we had guest speakers. We set up forums for critique and design studio time, discussion around topics that were top of mind, questions that were on people's mind that were unanswered. And then, of course, we in doing that, we identified the people who would want to actually contribute to something. And then we got them in a subgroup and set up time for them to be able to build something. We actually published our top tips for getting started out in the material design blog, too. You know, this is tough. Uh, in a big organization, like we're, we're lucky enough to have a, a diverse team of people to work with. But sometimes folks in startups might not be as lucky. And we want to be able to package our research in a way that 
anyone can get started and use it. So even down to the person who's just casually drawing a bar chart in PowerPoint or slides to the person who's actually creating a production-ready visualization that's going to be launched in a product. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Understanding Users. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely. And feel free, of course, to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Join me again next time when I'll be sharing some more insights from digital design professionals. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centered.